The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. There's a moment in the Christmas two years ago that, not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before that, that I will... I'll never forget. It was there's kind of that moment in, in each holiday that you just kind of remember that holiday for, and this is that moment that I'll always remember that Christmas for. But I got to give you a little bit of the backstory. Um, our, we have two kids. My wife and I have two kids. Uh, our daughter's three and a half. Her name is Scarlett, and our son is one and a half. And um, we were his name is Nehemiah, and we take them on walks all the time. Sometimes we put them both in the stroller. Sometimes we're pulling them in a little wagon, and we go for walks. Well. Um, our, our daughter was just learning to, to talk and was starting to get more and more verbal. And we were taking our daughter uh, and our son, we're going around the neighborhood. And if you go like around a couple different turns, it's about a 10 to 15 minute walk. Um, as you get there, there's this house and they have this lawn ornament that is large, okay? It is this multicolored koi fish and its tail is like a propeller, so the wind makes its tail spin around. Okay, here's a, I found a picture of something similar online. Okay, this is what it looks like. Now, I saw that, and I'm like, look, I don't know that I'd put that in my lawn, but to each his own, okay? And so we're, we're kind of pulling the wagon, and my daughter, she sees it, and she's like mesmerized by all the spinning colors, and she goes, fishy! And she's just starting to talk, and we're like, yeah, that's right, that's, that's a fishy. And she's, she's like looking at the fishy, and she keeps saying fishy. And so um, over the, the weeks, as we keep continue to go by this fishy, she says fishy, and then she's you know, getting more verbal, hi, fishy, as we're going by. And so it started to happen whenever we'd go out in the front yard, she wanted to go see fishy. Fishy was starting to become like her friend. Hi, fishy. And then it became where she wanted to drive by Fishy every time we came into the neighborhood. So I had to take a circuitous route to get to our house to go by Fishy, and, and if she was about to go home to take a nap, she'd be like, have a good nap, Fishy, as we're driving by. And so Fishy slowly became part of the family, okay? And we became, got really close to Fishy. And then the inevitable happened. It's a sad day in the Barnes household pulling the wagon, we go around the corner, and she says, Fishy's gone. And all of a sudden, there was this like real genuine like moment of grief that we're having to process away. She's like, where's Fishy? Fishy's gone. I'm like, well, I guess Fishy went bye-bye. I don't know where Fishy went, and we had to deal with it. And, and so every time we'd come into the neighborhood, she still wanted to go by Fishy's house where there's an empty yard where Fishy once stood. And she'd drive by, and I hear this sad little voice in the back seat, Fishy's gone. And so I'm driving one day, and this was late in the fall. It was like November, and I said, you know what? All right, I, against my better judgment, I'm going to go online. I'm going to, for Christmas, I'm going to spend the $25 or whatever it is and get my daughter fishy, a fishy, okay? And so I go online, and much to my chagrin, it's not $25 to get a fishy. It's $57 to get a fishy. Now, I'm cheap, okay? And I'm thinking, I never wanted this fishy to begin with, and I really, 
do not want to spend $57 on this fishy. So I said, okay, no fishy for the Barnes household. And then one day we're driving by the empty lawn where fishy once stood and I just hear this little voice, I miss you, fishy. (laughs) So Christmas morning comes. My daughter comes running into the living room and past the Christmas tree and she's like, I'm like, I'm like, wait, Scarlett, what is that? And out back, and she opens up the blinds, and there, it's a Christmas miracle. Fishy came back. And Fishy now lives at our house. Okay? I'm not proud of it every time I see it spinning around. Don't clap. Please don't clap. Okay? And so there's a, a bright, multicolored, spinning, koi, Fishy in my backyard. Now, here's the thing. I will always remember that Christmas as the Christmas when Fishy came back. Okay, that will be what I remember that Christmas for. And there were a lot of other great things about that holiday. There were, uh, I got great gifts, very thoughtful gifts. I honestly can't remember any of those at this point. But the gift that I, I just seeing her face and getting to surprise her and the whole narrative surrounding Fishy's return and all this stuff, all of that, that was the most fun about Christmas, and one of the most fun Christmases that I can remember. Like, I can think back through various Christmases back into my childhood. Like, I can remember the Christmas that I got for the first time a Walkman. Now I could go around with my cassette tapes anywhere with a clip to my belt, okay? I mean, I remember the Walkman, and that was like, okay, a nostalgic memory. I remember that fun gift. But as life has gone on, and I guarantee you could relate to this, you've had something in your life like this, as life's gone on, it's not as much the really good gifts that I've received that I really, really remember. It's the really good ones I've had the, uh, the privilege, I feel, to give. Like, I can think back on the gifts I've given. I'm like, oh yeah, it's kind of nostalgic, but I have no idea where those are. And it's just kind of a fun memory. But there's certain things, there's a couple times that I've really surprised Rebecca, my wife, with something and just remember her face. And I, I still feel the joy now of when I had the privilege of giving that. Like, I can't tell that story without a smile breaking across my face. And there's this principle that it's in the Bible. Jesus himself said this principle. And I love it because we've all had a moment where we know it's true. He said, it is so much more blessed to give than to receive. And you know, there's a lot of things that the Bible says, and we have to take that first step with blind faith. That's not one of those phrases because we've had moments where we remember, yeah, we remember good gifts. Remember that thing we once owned that we were given and we really liked it? But that does not bring the joy that when we remember, when we had the privilege of giving a gift and we remember the the joy break out on their face, those are things that still bless us. I mean, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's not some blessing on some other plane. I mean, that's like down to earth. You feel that. There is true joy in giving that you can't find with getting, right? So we're talking about this idea of that God is wired into us, and we're looking at a book in the Bible that's called 1 Timothy, and it's 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's, it's also going to be up here on the screens. And let me tell you what you're reading. First Timothy is, we call it a book. It's actually technically a letter. It's written by this guy named Paul who's this seasoned pastor. And, he, and he's sending it to a young pastor who's kind of newer and he's training him. This is pastor training in a book, in a letter. 
And he's training him how to speak to different categories of people that are under his care. And there's one section in here that it's, it's really profound and it's helpful for us to take note of this section. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, a couple interesting things here. A couple weeks ago when we started this series, we've been kind of mining this particular text. And there's something that we just first addressed. He, he's saying, he's training Timothy how to minister to a certain category. This is what this category of person needs from you, Timothy. And the category that he's talking about is, he says, the rich of this present age. And we, week one of our series, we had to just pause on that and say, okay, who's the rich of this present age? Because typically, it's so easy for us to think of the rich or the wealthy or rich person or wealthy person as the person that's just, that's ahead of us. Well, they are truly wealthy. But we stopped and said, okay, let's define who the rich of this present age are. And so we took a global perspective. And what we found is that looking at the globe, if you're hearing this message right now, you are in the extreme wealthy on the planet. In fact, we even broke out among the extreme wealthy to kind of classify. If you're hearing this message right now, you are easily in the top 3 to 4% wealthiest on the planet. Most likely the top 1 or 2% wealthiest on the planet. And so we who are hearing this message are the extreme wealthy, the extreme rich of the extreme rich. And so when we hear this passage, our ears should perk up to the wealthy of this age. We say, okay, he's talking to me. And we looked at some of the things that it said, and one of the, one of the things that it said, it says things like not to put our hope in riches because security doesn't come from that. Not to be prideful as if we deserve to be in this place, but to put our hope in God who's provided everything. And we got to this place where saying, okay, God, if you provided this what did you provide this for? Because in the end, we, we just want to use this for something that matters. We talked about it like this. You are a part, as part of the church in the United States, as an American Christian, you are part of the wealthiest, most resourced church in the history of man. And we all, so we collectively we decided we want to one day when we stand before God and we stand before the other generations of Christians that went before us, we want to be able to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, in this category, I resourced you beyond anyone in history and you were faithful with it. And so we're talking about this idea of generosity and, and as we're going into this week three, we're going into verse 18, but before we jump into that, I want you to see where verse 17 leaves off because it leads into verse 18. Verse 17, what we just read, it leaves off with says, have them put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. One of the most interesting things about this passage is to realize God is not saying, hey, calm down, stop enjoying your stuff so much. He's saying, all these things have been given to you. I just want to show you how to enjoy it because I'm not sure you know how to enjoy it. 
So he says, I want them to know to, how to enjoy it. And then he goes into verse 18, and here's what he says. Verse 18 of chapter 6. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. I want you to notice what he's saying. He's saying, okay, how should they enjoy it? He says, okay, I want them to enjoy it, so tell them this. He says, tell them to, to do good, to be rich in good works. Now hang on that word for a second. I want you to follow the word rich through this passage because it's really interesting. He says, to the rich of this age. He says, tell them not to put their hope in riches, but in God who richly has provided everything for them to enjoy. And then he says, have them be rich in good works. There's like this, there's this pathway of he's changing our perspective on riches. He's, it's almost like he's saying, what if you trained them, Timothy? What if you trained those who are rich in this world? That's us. That they, they flipped their view of what riches were. They, they saw themselves, their, their riches were not the stuff they were accumulating, but their opportunities to do good. What if they were hungry for that kind of richness? Like the riches that they were pursuing, they wanted, were opportunities to do good. So we're calling this series Activate, Igniting the World Changer Inside You. And it's all built on this premise that there is a calling on every single person's life. For some of us, that calling is like really loud and blaring. I mean, we just can't escape it. We feel it. For some, it's, it's just a whisper. For some, we've repressed that down, that calling. Others, it's been beaten out of us from life circumstances. But there's a calling in every one of our lives, we believe, is the premise of this series. That we want to use our lives for something that matters. Like there's a sense, I think, that it's somewhere at some point each one of us has felt like, okay, this life is a gift, this life is short. At the other end of it, I want to know that I've used this life for something significant. There was some impact I made. There was something I did for good. There's something bigger than me that I was a part of. Like I want to use this life for something that matters. And if you've ever felt that call at any point, then hear what this passage is saying. He's saying to this young pastor, he says, for those who are rich of this present age, he says, remind them, tell them to do good, to be rich in good works. He's saying essentially this, remind them that they are uniquely positioned to get the privilege of doing good. We have that calling, that itch, that desire, that passion, that craving to use our lives for something that matters. He's saying, awaken their minds to the reality that they, if they have the privilege of, being, of having means compared to the rest of the world, they are privileged that they are uniquely positioned to do good. Now, there's something inside of us, I think, that connects with that, but often we say, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, I'm, things are pretty tight financially. And you know what? For some of us, that, there's a, a reality there that's absolutely true. We're, we're in between jobs. Maybe you just lost your job or there are some unexpected health bills or something that you were not expecting and there's some kind of financial crisis. The rest of us, we might be saying, yeah, but things are tight. But let's just be honest. This is not for guilt reasons. This is just to you know, be, shoot straight with each other. Really, for us, 
being tight financially is because we're just trying to juggle all of our luxuries. The reality is that it's not a matter of, of a necessarily crisis for all of us. It's, it's like creating space for generosity is maybe just downgrading like the, the luxuries in our life. You know, it's like, okay, I mean, to do something like that, I'd have to like downgrade my cable, okay, to like a lower package. And some of, some of us are thinking, okay, just shoot me now. Okay, that's just too much what you've just asked. I can't live without, you know, that particular package. You know, so for most of us, I mean, the reality is not to be to guilt. It's just the truth. Things are tight because we're juggling luxuries. And here's what this passage is saying. It's saying, Remind, like, turn up the volume on that calling in their life. Because they feel that. They want to do good. He says, remind them, time out, wait a minute. We're uniquely positioned to do good, to be rich in good works. And light a fire in them and ignite that spark. Like, activate that desire of, you know what? I no longer, this is not how I want to grow wealth and just stuff. I want to grow wealth and opportunities to do good. Like, riches and good works is what I'm after. Flip the switch on it. He's saying, and then he goes on to say, he says, and charge them to be generous and ready to share. Now, I love that he defines what he means by generous. He defines it as a readiness to share, okay? And, and I, I recently was reminded how difficult this can be, okay? There's something really annoying about being a preacher, okay? And if you've ever talked to a preacher, they will all tell you this. It's that you're studying a passage and you're about to preach it and God has a way of creating a little scenario that week in your life to remind you how inept you are in that particular category, okay? And so I had this uncomfortable opportunity this week of learning that lesson. So I was at a coffee shop nearby, and I was meeting with a friend, and we were just talking through some things. And it's one of those, I, I see people that I know from time to time there. In fact, while I'm there, uh, one of our, our staff members, Kathy, she works in our student department, and her younger sister, Kaylee, come in. They're having a little sister-to-sister coffee date, and they're sitting there and, you know, wave at them. And I see people I know, and, and, um, and so I was having coffee with this guy, and my buddy, and we wrapped up, and we're both just staying there about ready to leave. And I see this guy on the, the fringe there, and... Um, it's kind of waiting to talk to one of us. It's out of the corner of my eye, I see that his clothes are kind of threadbare a little bit. And I'm like, okay, he's wanting to talk to, to us, and he's obviously waiting. And my buddy leaves, and he approaches me, and as he comes up to me, I just got like this strong smell of alcohol coming off of this guy. And he says, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, okay. And um, I, I kind of stand to the side, and he says, hey, look, I, I, I'm not going to ask you for money. He says, I'm homeless and can you just buy some food for me? And um, I'm not going to lie. I just wanted to run out of there as fast as I could. But I'm looking over, and there's a fellow staff person there. So I'm like, okay, I have to at least act like a Christian here for a moment. <laughs> just pretend to be spiritual at least. Okay, dig deep. And, and um, it wasn't a good moment for me. I said, okay, sure, man. And so we walked over, and, and um, he picks out something, and, and I pay for it. And I, I'm standing there, and I'm talking to him for a second. I'm saying, okay, here's... Uh, man, I, I want to just, let's get you some help. Here's a local food pantry. Just right down the, the way there. Here's all the information. I give it to you. Promise me you're going to go check it out. And, and, and he leaves. And, and I, I walk out of there. And if I'm honest, it was not a good moment. I, I felt that $8.59 that I spent on that guy, I felt every cent of it leaving my person, okay? And I get back to the office and I'm, um, I get back to my studies and I'm reading and I'm thinking on my way, I'm like, you know what, okay, I did a good deed, okay, I did the right thing. And I get back and he says, be generous, 
ready to share. It was almost like God said, ready to share, idiot, at the end, okay? <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks, message received, all right? So there's this moment where sometimes we think generosity is like, okay, I pried my fingers off my things and, and generosity is stuff leaving me going to someone else. But I love that it defines what generosity is. Generosity is ready to share. So generosity is I see someone in need and I'm finishing up this conversation. I'm like, oh, I hope I get the privilege and the opportunity of sharing with this person. I hope, I hope it's me. In fact, time out for a second. I want to go talk to this guy before he talks to someone else because I want to be the person that gets the opportunity to be generous and to share. He's saying he's, that's that readiness. It's that hunger. It's that pursuit of an opportunity to share and to be generous. It's this heart issue. I mean, think of what he's describing here. It's put somewhere else. I want to read this other place in the Bible where Paul defines it. Here's what he says. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now look what he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this word here, cheerful, because what that originally means, that original word in the Greek that Paul wrote is hilaron. It's where we eventually get our word hilarious from. So when he says a cheerful giver, he's not talking about, oh, it's a chore, but I'm going to whistle while I work and trying to make the best of it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone who's truly excited, delighted, happy, like their face brightens up, they're excited for the opportunity to be generous and to share. I mean, this is an, an incredible thing that he's describing. Let's put it like this. I want you to think of it in these terms. Maybe um, I want you to think of compulsive spending. Compulsive spending, it's, we all have a category most likely in our life where it's not hard for us to spend money on. It's the, it's this particular category, it's the gear for my hobby, or it's clothes, or it's entertainment, or it's vacations, or it's gadgets, or it's this upgrade, or that upgrade, or it's whatever. We all have, most of us have an area that it's not hard for us to spend on. It's, it's almost like a compulsion that comes out from us. But listen to what he's describing there. He's, he's describing someone who's compulsively generous ready to share, excited, looking for an opportunity. Priorities have shifted where now it's like, I, I want, I'm so hungry to do something for good that I can't wait. Like, I actually have to restrain myself when it comes to being generous with other people. He's talking about stirring that kind of generosity in his heart. And don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, what did he say at the end of verse 17? God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then he says, so if you want to enjoy it, the creator who wired us says, you want to enjoy it? Create in your heart this, this hunger for generosity. And that may seem like so counterintuitive, but every one of us in here has experienced a little taste of that. A moment when maybe it was our child or our significant other or a good friend when their face just lit up with joy 
because we were able to be generous with them. And we've all had that moment where we've realized the truth. Man, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And God's saying, okay, if you want to really have enjoyment with the stuff you've been provided, the resources you've been provided, see that framework as not just something that pops up at birthdays and Christmas. See that as a framework with which you look at all of your resources and your finances. That you are hungry to share. You become a compulsive, compulsively generous. You're like, I am hungry for opportunities to share. Like, I, if, there's, if God provides me with more resources, it's more opportunities to do good and to share. Now, when we see that, I mean, I think there's something inside of us that wants that. I think most of us, if we were to look at the spectrum of maybe generous, generous is on this side and selfish is on this side, I think every single one of us would say, I want to move towards generosity. I do not want to move towards self selfishness. We want to move towards generosity. But it's just hard to flip that switch and become compulsively generous. So what I want to do is I want to use this ladder here for a second as kind of like a generosity diagnostic. Okay, And I want to talk about, because if this right here, this top rung of the ladder is a compulsively generous person, compulsive generosity, like if that's what this is, it's hard to just get right there. And a lot of times, it's helpful to kind of see where we are on that spectrum. Okay, so we're going to use this as a diagnostic tool. We'll say this bottom rung is maybe no generosity, and I think probably in some capacity each of us have a little generosity in some category. So we'll talk about this first step of generosity. Here's what this looks like. We'll call this first step right here carefully generous. Carefully generous. This is if someone maybe similar to my experience at the coffee shop, it's someone that is in a bad place, uh, they're needy and they ask you for help for some for some money and Maybe you give something, but in your heart, you're like, man, I don't know. Are they going to use that for the wrong thing? Are they gonna be, am I just enabling them? And you're suspicious and cautious. You give some, but you're not really happy about it. You're carefully generous. But generosity happens in all categories. You could be carefully generous when your neighbor, neighbor comes over and wants to borrow your shovel. Oh, man, this guy's going to break my shovel again. I just got a new one. He broke it last time. Okay, all right, but let's just take good care of it. And you have to pry your fingers off your shovel and share it with your neighbor. Carefully generous. There's all different categories. It could even be with your church. You could say, you know what? I, in my previous church I was at, I had a bad experience. I mean, sometimes we're carefully generous and for good reason. You, you say, look, I... I, I was kind of burned in my last experience. I had a bad experience. So yeah, I give a little here and there. I put some in the offering box, a little bit here, a little bit there, but I just had a bad experience. So I, I feel it when I put it in there. It could be with a family member. They're wanting help, but you're pretty skeptical. So you give a little bit every now and then to help them out, but you're, you're carefully generous. We'll say that's step one on the generosity scale. This is carefully generous. Here's the, the next, is after carefully generous, there comes consistently generous. This is like moving towards generosity. This is where generosity kind of becomes a rhythm in your life. It's consistent. So maybe you say, okay, um, whenever I see someone in need, it's kind of my routine. I give them something. Or maybe I, I plan ahead of time, so I have something to give them. 
I'm consistently generous. It could be that you say, okay, um, I, I, every time I come in to, to my church, I give to my church. It's consistently. It's not a lot, but it's part of my rhythm. It's part of what I do. I'm consistently generous. Or maybe it's, you know what? Um, I have a sponsor child that's someone impoverished in another part of the world and our family. So it's a little over a dollar a day. We, we, we every month, it's part of our rhythm we're, we're giving to someone. It's consistently generous. It's becoming a rhythm in your life. So then some, some people have moved from carefully generous. It's like every now and then, but you're, you know, you're careful when you do it. You feel it consistently has become kind of part of the rhythm. And then there's this one. This is consciously generous. And this is where things are really starting to turn. Consciously generous is someone who's saying, okay, I, I'm going to be thoughtful about, I want my life to, to reflect generosity. So they're consciously attempting to be generous. They're like consciously, thoughtfully planning. And usually what this looks like is they're sitting down consciously with their budget and they're clearing space in their budget to be generous. They're clearing out space. And what's interesting is the Bible is really practical when it talks about being consciously generous. It gives some very helpful tips. It says, okay, when you're sitting down looking at your budget and you're saying, okay, I want to be consciously generous. I'm going to set aside, uh, I'm going to clear some space for generosity in my life. What it says is, here's the first tip. If you're budgeting, don't budget that part last. Because what happens if we budget that part last? We never get to it. So it says, if, you wanna, if you're really serious about clearing space for generosity, it says, budget that first. Ask the question, okay, what do I want to be generous with? And it says, in fact, the way the Bible puts it is really beautiful. It says, it uses this term, first fruits, because it was speaking to an agrarian society. So most of these people, their income was in terms of flocks or fields. And said, the first fruits, it says, clear that out. And he says, give that. And the, the idea they said is, God says, think of that first section you've, you've set aside to be generous as actually a gift to God. And it's like an offering you're giving back to God as you're giving it to people in need. He says, clear that, that first space to be generous. And then it gives something else that's very practical. It says, and, and a helpful thing is think in terms of percentages. And so say, you know what? A percentage, this percentage of my budget this year, I'm setting aside because I want to be generous. In fact, the Bible, to kind of give, just it's very practical to give some help. It, it usually op thinks in terms of, in percentages of tens. Um, 10% sometimes talks about a tithe. And so it says clearing that out. And so you see in the Old Testament law, they would talk about these tithes. And so if you're in that space where you're saying, I'm going to start, I want my life to reflect generosity. I'm going to clear some space in my budget. Maybe for you, you say, okay, that first milestone I'm going to start working towards is I would love it if 10% of everything that comes in to our family, we give back out as a gift to the Lord. And you know what? That's, that's a big commitment. That's a big deal. And so for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I can't just go from where I'm at now to that. And so for many people, it's like, okay, but where can I? You know what I'm going to start? I'm going to say, I want to be generous with 5%. And then next year, we're going to go to 6% and then 7%. And my first milestone is to get to that 10%. So we can say 10% of everything that comes in, we're being generous with it back out. But see, here's what happens in this consciously generous mentality. Something starts happening in your heart things start to change in your heart. All of a sudden, you're experiencing the joy 
of generosity and it starts to get a little addictive. And all of a sudden as you're seeing like the how blessed it is to give, like as that's kicking in, you're like, man, this is incredible. Like look at how much that we have that we can give out and, and help people and support people and invest in things we believe in. And, and look at, man, this is fun to be financially a part of those things. And, and all of a sudden it gets addictive. And so what ends up happening is when that person as a, fa- as a family, they get to that 10%, they start asking crazy things like, why would I stop at 10%? And they start thinking, well, maybe this year, next year, let's go to 10.5% or 11%. And, and all of a sudden, they start, it starts really kicking in as they're enjoying the generosity, the joy of giving is kicking in. And now they start really thinking some things that are crazy. In fact, in this book, Treasure Principle, he says it like this. He asks this question. It's a really good question. Why should, why necessarily, if my income increases, why necessarily should that mean my cost of living also increases? That's a really good question. That sometimes, I don't know, maybe we just stop and think rather than just assuming. He says, what if I established, hey, I'm content with this cost of living so that, and he says it like this, so that when my income increases, it's not my cost of living that increases, it's my cost of giving that increases. And he says, and all of a sudden, this generosity becomes addictive, and I'm looking for more things that opportunities to give and more things to invest in for good. And all of a sudden, this I'm, I've been the spark has been ignited, and all of a sudden, I'm hungry to use my life for something that matters and using these resources that God has provided in me. And this joy of giving is just is flooding through my life. And before I realize that here I am at this at, at this place of generosity, that it's just compulsive. I've got to hold myself back. I've become compulsively generous and I'm looking for opportunities. Wow, well, we could do this and, and what if we as a family did this? And what if, and now all of a sudden I'm saying, well, maybe I, maybe I could cut back a little bit so we could invest here. And all of a sudden, the joy of giving is starting to flood through me. And all of a sudden, I, without realizing it, this shift has happened where it's no longer I have to give. I start realizing, man, I get to give. I have the privilege of giving. I God, you've placed me in this privileged place where I am situated better to do good and this pursuit of riches and good works happen. You know, there is uh, all different kinds of ways to be generous, but let's just stop. I want to ask just a personal rhetorical question. Take a second and let's use this as a diagnostic And here's what I want you to ask. I want you just to, in your mind, say, okay, where do you find yourself on this ladder? Like, this is where we want to get to if we really want to enjoy what God's given us. He he has given us what he's given us so that we we can enjoy his blessings. So if this is where we want to get to, maybe ask yourself, okay, where am I? And and just pick a rung in your mind. Would you say, okay, I'm carefully generous. Every now and then I, I, I release my grip on things and I, I, you know, and, and I give, but you know, I, I hold things tightly. And, and, or maybe you say consistently, it's become a rhythm. Okay, there is a rhythm in my life of generosity. Maybe you say, okay, I'm, I'm consciously generous. I'm starting to clear space in my life. I want you just to take a second. Let's all just in our hearts say, okay, where, where am I on that generosity diagnostic? Here's what this passage is, is calling us. It's God saying, look, I made you, I wired you, and I've really blessed you more than you imagine. I've really, really blessed you. And he says, the reason I blessed you is so that you could have the joy 
of generosity. So here's the challenge. Wherever you find yourself in here, ask yourself, what is it going to take to move to the next step? Maybe for some of you, you say, look, I don't know that there's any generosity. Maybe you just take one step and you say, okay, I'm going to just give. Maybe you say, okay, I'm here, but I, I want to make it more consistent, a rhythm of my life. Maybe you say, okay, it's a rhythm, but you know, I need to start clearing space. And then maybe some of you are here, you're conscious, you've cleared space. But you say, okay, why did I ever stop? Like, I, I want to do more and have the joy of doing more so that generosity becomes compulsive inside of me. So I get the joy of, being, of doing good and the joy of giving. You've had a taste of that before in your life. God's just saying, let it loose in your life. You know, there's so many different ways we talk about generosity um, at different times at our church. Sometimes we talk about sponsoring uh, children and we, we give you opportunities to sponsor kids. I hope you take advantage of that when we do. Sometimes we talk about another aspect of generosity where it's, it's things like disaster relief like we did um, for Haiti after the hurricane or maybe it's local missions opportunities like local people in, in need. But today is the perfect Sunday to get you excited to be compulsively generous to your church. Because today being Baptism Sunday, you're going to see the fruit of your generosity. And you're gonna, you're gonna, I want you to think of it like this. You've all heard the, the old parable of you can catch a man a fish and feed him for a day. Or you can teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. You've heard that parable? You could add another wrinkle to that and you could say, or you could set up a fishing school in a region and train them all to fish and feed a region. Do you know what your church is? It's a fishing school. Here's what you're investing in. Here's what we get the privilege, all of us, to invest in. You are investing, your church is an engine that is cranking out world changers. It's an incredible thing to invest in in a, a sponsoring a child, I hope you do, you can, you can sponsor a child. When you invest in your church, you're investing in an engine that's creating hundreds of child sponsors that are then going out and getting other people excited about sponsoring children. When you invest in your church, it's an exponential return. You're investing in an engine that's cranking out world changers that are going back into their families, back into their neighborhoods, back into their places of work, and they're changing that world around us. And today, we have one of the unique opportunities to celebrate that. And honestly, I hope that lights a fire, sparks and ignites a fire, activates in you a fire to be compulsively generous to your church. And I want you to see this story. This is one of my favorite stories here in uh, recently at West Pines of a baptism not too long ago. I want you to check out this story. Take a look. Um, we have not been coming to church for many, many years. I don't remember the last time that I was at church. And then my son started coming um, to the youth group. He started insisting for us to come in. And for about six months, he kept putting his little sand there. And my daughter started coming into church. And then we started coming into church. And then here we are. <laughs> Yo no asistía a la iglesia porque tenía mis propios ideales sobre la iglesia, porque ya había asistido antes a algunas iglesias, pero más cuando trabajaba como un jugador de béisbol. 
que hacíamos los domingos dominical la iglesia y asistía pero no estaba muy eh, no asistía así consistente solo iba pero no era parte de mí cuando llegué aquí a West Pine todo cambió para mí um, inmediatamente yo pude sentir que estaba entre familia y eh, le dije a mi esposa y a mi hijo quien nos trajo aquí uh, wow esto es algo que yo puedo hacer yo puedo venir todos los domingos aquí no tengo ningún problema esto tenemos que sacar el tiempo para yo venir aquí when we decided to get baptized uh, we went to the next step class and when we opened up the little book that they gave us uh, with what it was all about Um, we noticed that it said baptism, October 16, 2016. And that was his 50th birthday. Immediately when he saw it, he was like, we're getting baptized. <laughs> I thought that that was the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. You know, she has celebrated some birthday to me, but I believe that nothing will be more special than this and we could not just waste on this opportunity. Daddy got baptized first. Yes. And Remember, then, we were trying to decide who was going to get baptized, and then she was the one that started. Yes. And, and then, then you we, went in. Yes. And I remember uh, Frank, Pastor Frank. He, uh, he kind of guided me through and, and calmed me down. I wasn't really nervous, but because I was so happy about it that I could not think about any other thing. Christ as the center of our lives for us means that he takes all the glory, that he uses us every day for whatever purposes that he has for us. To me, it has been wonderful because being the man of the house, I always think that I am in charge and I gotta do and take care of things. Now, we have the man of the house. We have Jesus, the center of our home and our life. Are there faces full of joy? Are they not so unbelievably contagious just seeing their faces? I mean, you, you've got this family that has been transformed because of Jesus. I want you to remember those faces. I want you to remember those smiles on those faces. Because as you're investing in the work of God here at your church, you are part of that gift to them. We have the privilege of going out through this community and seeing families, their lives turned upside down. Our lives have been turned upside down and we get the incredible privilege of seeing more and more and more 
families, their stories changed, and now Jesus is the center of their family, the man of the house. If that doesn't make you feel like, I want to be more a part of that, I don't know what will. And today, all morning, you're going to see people who are getting baptized. These are more stories. You're seeing more faces, more tears of people that Jesus has rescued for eternity in heaven and turned their lives around. And so here's what I want to unabashedly encourage you to do. Out of a desire to be more a part of what God is doing, pursue compulsive generosity. Be compulsively generous. Be compulsively generous to your church. Get to a place you're going to have to hold yourself back because you say, I want to be more a part of putting smiles like that on people's faces. What a privilege that we have. Can I just encourage you? Let's just take a moment alone with God. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Can you just draw a line in the sand between you and God and say, okay, this God, when it comes to generosity, this is the step I need to take. And just right there between you and God, commit to taking that step. There are some of you today that the step you need to take is actually there's a gift that you need to receive. And this is the reason why, this is really what drives our generosity is the realization that God has been opulently, incredibly, compulsively generous with us. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay for our sins. He, didn't, he wasn't reluctantly generous. He wasn't hesitatingly generous. He didn't hold himself back. He gave the greatest treasure in the universe, Jesus Christ himself. He gave him for you so that you, so that you can have your sins washed away and spend an eternity in heaven. And today, maybe you can just simply receive that gift. You want to make things right with God? It's not about what you do. It's what he did in receiving that gift of Jesus Christ. If you want to receive that gift, I want to lead you in a simple prayer right there, quietly in your heart, to, between you and God, say these words. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your generosity of sending Jesus to die on the cross, the treasure of heaven. Thank you for saving me for eternity. Thank you for loving me that much. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.